next few minutes, I would like to continue on with a series that we've been involved with for the last five weeks. The series is called Seize the Moment. And we've been analyzing a passage of Scripture that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 14 and, and unwrapping it like an onion and different spiritual aspects of it that we can apply to our own life. And today I'd like to, the title of the message, and if you have a bulletin, you'll You can see there on the back cover the title is there and a couple of the points so that you can jot down some notes. But the title of the message today is Live Before You Die. Live Before You Die. Father, as we approach your word this morning, we do so with such a deep understanding that your presence is here. We have felt you from the moment that we have walked in and understand that because your presence is here, there's some work that you want to do. And I ask that you would take this passage of Scripture and understanding that each of us look at life and are experiencing life through a different prism, that you would take the message of this and that it would be applied to each of us in ways that just really matter to us. There's going to be some people that will see it one way and others that will see it another, but I pray that the challenge of your spirit would be applicable to all of us, that we can find ways to step out and live fully within our faith. And so, Father, we ask these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in 2004, there was a country song that was on number one on the charts for longer than about any other song, and it was recorded by Tim McGraw. It's called Live Like You're Dying. Some of you may have heard of it, those of you who were country music fans. The back story to that was about the time that he was recording this, Tim McGraw's father, Tug McGraw, who was a pitcher for the Mets. For those of us that were Mets fans, we knew who he was, was dying of brain cancer. And so when it came time for Tim to record this song, he did so in upstate New York. He said there was three feet of snow on the outside of the little house they were in. They'd set up candles around the fireplace was going. He said it just needed to be recorded someplace that was different than the recording studio. And he said, so we were all decked out in this little room. And at 1 o'clock in the morning, they decided to cut this song. And the lyrics to it said, he said... I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me and one moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays, talking about options and talking about sweet times. I asked him when it sank in that this might really be the real end. And how's it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what did you do? He said, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I loved deeper, I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness that I'd been denying. And he looked at me and he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you are dying. I thought about that, the chance to live like you are dying. Yesterday we, we have flowers here that are commemorating Linda Cynical as we talked about her life yesterday. And the number of people that she had touched and As we were talking about her and remembering her, I thought, you know, there is a freedom that comes to us when we recognize that our life on earth may be coming to an end, and there are things that we will do and risks that we will take that we may not take at any other time, and I pray that somehow spiritually each of us would live with the freedom to do things spiritually and live by faith as if we were dying. There are few things that are more powerful than a life that is lived with passionate clarity. We all have hopes and dreams and aspirations. And for some people, they look at others and they see them living and advancing in their dreams while some watch timidly from the distance. And what they hope for is maybe I'll get a break. 
And so how can we live with a spiritual clarity that frees us from apprehension and hesitation and step with courage into the moments that God provides for us that may very well catapult us with great freedom toward a momentum that he desires of us? These are the questions that we have been asking for the last several weeks. And if you're new here, you can go on our website and each of these messages of this series of seizing the moment are there for you to listen to. But we have been following the story of King Saul and his son, Prince Jonathan, as they each faced the same moment. They were surrounded by an enemy that surrounded them on all sides, had weaponry, skilled forces. They were outnumbered thousands to one. King Saul, in his fear, retreated underneath a pomegranate bush. His son, Prince Jonathan, said to his armor bearer, let's get up and go and let's go pick a fight because we believe God could be up to something. And in the middle of the same moment, two, me, two people made radically different decisions that changed the momentum of everything within their lives. And we approach the topic today in 1 Samuel chapter 14, and I'm beginning with verse 6, and I'm going to read through verse 10 as we continue along with this. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, come then. We will cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. When Jonathan spoke to his armor bearer and convinced him to go with him and engage the Philistines, not only did he acknowledge the uncertainty of whether God would actually help them because he said, perhaps the Lord will help us. Now, I don't know about you, but there's not very many of us that I know that would act in faith in such a way as we step into something going, well, I'm going to do this because maybe God will do something. We, we kind of like assurances. We, we kind of like it when God speaks to us and we know exactly what he's going to do. But they, they acknowledged the uncertainty whether God would actually help, but they laid out a dangerous strategy that made him look as if he was out of his mind. Jonathan said, come, let's cross over toward the men. And let them see us. Now, I am no military expert. I have never been to West Point. But I know enough to know that this was a terrible military strategy. Let them see you. Walk out in the open when you're outnumbered thousands to one. If it was me, I would have thought, let's sneak up on them. Let's hide in the shadows. Let's maintain radio silence. Let's attack in a stealthy way that maybe we can pick them off one by one so that nobody knows what's going on. But this approach doesn't make any sense when you're outmanned and you're outnumbered and you're out-equipped. You don't just step out of the shadows and stand there in front of them. But that's what Jonathan did. And I believe that the reason for that is because Jonathan knew as he stepped into this divine moment, as he stepped into this opportunity, that this particular engagement was not a matter of human ingenuity. He was moving out to seize a divine moment 
It wasn't the moment that he was simply going to create, but it was through his initiative and the prompting of God within him that he stepped into it. But he was stepping into a moment where God would have to come through if he was going to achieve the ultimate end. He was not being presumptuous about God. He clearly knew who God was and he understood the potential consequences of his actions if God would not come through. But he was in a very real sense stepping into a moment and creating an opportunity for God to bring a victory that he had already promised. Now I brought a little jacket with me today. One of my favorite ones because it's my favorite color. Those of you that know me know I, I like camouflage. I'm really comfortable in this coat. And the reason that I wear this coat often, especially when I'm in the woods, is because I want to get close to things that don't know I'm there. And generally I have evil intentions. <laughs> in fact, this morning, for those of you that were deer hunters, we could have filled all of our tags in our parking lot. Because there were bucks chasing does all over this morning around here. The Lord really knows how easily distracted I am. There was a recent survey of people that had attended a, a movie about superheroes. And they asked them, what, what would be the superpower that you would, would want? And the top answer was invisibility. They wished that they could be invisible. I don't know whether... They meant that for good things or bad things. I can't think of very many good things that invisibility would give you. But I thought about that and I thought, you know, we as Christians today are used to wearing camouflage. We kind of like just to hide in the background. It's easier for us if nobody knows we're there. My testimony is just fine, locked up inside of my heart behind the camouflage. I would prefer not to be known. I'd prefer not to have to step out. I'd prefer not to have to speak. I just want to be camouflaged. But as we approach this passage of Scripture, we recognize that divine moments require us to go through the past. As we read this passage of Scripture over the last month, we know that when Jonathan and his armor bearer went, they were walking through a valley with cliffs on both sides. They were stepping into a place where they literally there was a point of no return they couldn't turn around and go back they without knowing exactly what God was going to do they stepped into that pass and then he says here's what we're going to do we're going to step out and we're going to make ourselves known we're going to take off the camouflage so that they can see us and many in our lives are making sure that, that we are not seen. We, we have the divine moments that are presented to us that require us to move from invisibility to visible so that the invisible God can be visible through us. But we, we live in such a way that we do not want to be seen. We choose to live in the cloak of invisibility. We, we call another name, but the result is the same. We choose to remain anonymous. And we treasure our isolation. And I believe that the church of Jesus Christ, particularly in America, is being called to a place where we take off our camouflage and step out into the open and begin to declare who we are and whose we are so that God can begin to lead us to places of victory that we would have never seen had we not stepped into a divine moment and let them see us. 
I'm not saying that we need to take off our camouflage and become the star of a role and demand center stage, but I'm talking about stepping out so that the world who is lost can see who we represent and what he wants to do within their lives. So church, it's time to take off the camouflage. We have silently abdicated our responsibility and chosen to live in the backdrop when God is calling us to the forefront and in order for us to become more attractive to those around us we've got to quit being invisible and we've got to quit hiding our testimony and we need to step out and live what God has desired for us sometimes we consciously choose to be invisible At other times, there are people that seem to be just trapped in in invisibility, and they want to be visible, but they haven't figured out how to wake uh, a way to be to materialize. They just haven't figured out how to make their life mean something. And for too long, invisibility has been a safe place for many to stand. But eventually, all of us long to be needed, long to be cared for, long to be used, and long to be a part of somebody else's salvation story. But to do that, we have to make the most important decision of our lives, which will require us to forsake invisibility and risk becoming visible. And to choose to take a divine moment, you have to take off the camouflage and step out and say, I am his, and here I am. How will you use me, Lord? Now, not every moment carries the same potential. Some moments carry within them the capacity to shape your lifetime. Some moments when you step into them, you discover that God's potential for that was greater than what you would have ever dreamed. And this is the reality that is fundamental to the Christian faith. There's no greater moment filled with eternal ramifications than the moment each of us experienced when we came to know Jesus as Savior. Because we had to come to him and say, I have been living under the camouflage trying to not let you see my sin. But to come to the Lord, you take that off and you expose all that you are and all that you've done. And he sees it all and he says, I've died for it all. And he changes us when we take off the camouflage that we're all right when we've been living in our sin. And in that moment, there's tremendous risk involved because we risk knowing that he is going to not only change us and he's going to work, from us, from, work on us from the inside out, but that what it means to us is that we have to be willing to die to ourselves. Honestly, folks, we are living in a day and age where cheap salvation is taking place. You know, some people just, they raise an eye and they look up and say, boy, I recognize I need, I need a Savior today. And then they bolt out the door without ever having made a decision to act upon what they did. They wanted to remain. I want the salvation, but I still want to wear the camouflage. The Lord is asking us to take that off and step out and be seen because I believe that there is life that is more full than you could have ever dreamed if you were willing to trust God and risk everything. And seizing divine moments often require us to put our own well-being aside and allow the well-being of others to begin to rise up within our heart. So the call of God is for us to choose to no longer be invisible, but to take off the camouflage, take the risk of letting others see us, so that when we become visible, the invisible presence of God becomes visible through you. I know that there are a lot of people here, and I gave you an opportunity to give a testimony, many of you would, about 
the times when you felt a prompting of the Holy Spirit to speak to somebody. It might have come out of nowhere. It may have been a situation. Maybe you were in the grocery store in the line or something, and the Lord just prompted you as you saw someone say, you need to speak to them. Oftentimes those stories, whether they're in the office or whether the grocery store, the mall or wherever they may be, oftentimes those stories end with you saying, can I pray for you? And as you're praying, suddenly tears begin to run down their face and you have no idea what's going on in their life, but you stepped into a moment that the Lord had been preparing for and you decided, I'm coming out, I'm I'm, I'm not going to wear the camel, I'm going to tell you who I am and I feel that I need to speak to you. And as the tears are running down their face, you recognize God had prepared that moment for you so that you could be part of their salvation story. It's almost as if God is waiting for somebody to trust him enough to act on his word. And there's so much that God wants to do that can be seen only after we step into the moment and begin to do something. I really believe that sometimes we don't realize how much latitude God gives us and what is his will. How many of you have ever prayed, Lord, I just need to know your will? I just, I just need. How many of you have ever prayed that with others? And in our mind, we are, we're standing here and we want to know which step to take. Let me, let me tell you how broad the will of God is. Philippians chapter 4, 8 says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words... When you've been praying, say, Lord, what is your will? He goes, well, let me give you a list of categories that you can walk into. You've been waiting for which step to take, and he's going, it's huge, the opportunities to walk into the will of God. It's huge. Where have I heard that before? It's huge. (laughs) He said, think, dwell, Act on any of these things that you want because they are all within the parameters of God's will for your life. And Paul then says in the next verse, whatever you have learned or received or heard or seen me put into practice, understand that the God of peace will be with you. In other words, some of you have been so afraid of taking a step of faith that God might say, nope, nope, I'm not going there, that you have forgot the fact that he has created our world with multiple options for you to walk in his will and do something. And we've been so afraid of taking the wrong step. You know what? When you're moving, the Holy Spirit can lean on you. He can guide you and direct you. But scripturally, there are massive directions that we can step into. Paul goes on to say in verses 12 and 13, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. In other words, church, take off the camouflage and start walking and watch where he will lead you. So you hear what he's telling us? Any good thought, do what you want. Any good deed that you desire to do to glorify God, do it. Do it boldly, whatever the cost. Circumstances cannot rob you of the joy of life. And if you will give your life for God's risky business, you will find that you can do all things because he will empower you to do them. When you take off the camouflage and step out. Sometimes you must simply take the risk of stepping past your fear 
about what will happen and who's going to approach me and what will I say because our fears are always that we are going to be caught unprepared. But when you step through that and you step into the valley and you begin to be seen, God can use you. But living a life of faith requires risk. Between faith and hope is risk. One of the advantages that we have in Scripture is that it's a history book. We're able to look back and see what God has done and, and, and God's history of the story of humanity gives us a foundation for our present and our future work. But there's also a disadvantage to that as well because every one of us approaches the word of God and we already know the end. So we miss the tension of the middle because we know what's going on. And we know the end of the story, and even as we're reading it, and beyond that, we know the end of history. We know at the end of this all, God wins. And because we know that, because we already know how it's going to turn out, and that everybody that's involved with God and that follows him, we win too. Sometimes we sit back and think, well, we'll just let history happen without the push from the Spirit to say, I need you to involve yourself in the story. I'm married to a school teacher. Our grandchildren did not have a choice when it came to whether will they read or not. We were reading to them sometimes before they were born. And most of the stories that I read, particularly with my, my granddaughters and my youngest grandson, start with these words, once upon a time. And then generally, almost all of them on the last page states, and they lived happily ever after. Any of you have books like that in your house? We know the first line and we know the last line, but what is in the middle is called a mess. There's a messy middle to it all. And this messy middle, this in-between time, may be the context of your life right now. It might be that you're in the middle of this and you're going, you know, once upon a time I started and I'm waiting for the happily ever after, but right now in the middle of all this, Lord, it is a mess. But it's in the middle of the mess that he gives guidance. It's in the middle of your mess and of life that he begins to say, I can take control. If you'll just start doing something for me, I'll take that mess and I'll organize it for you. It may not be safe but it will be godly, and he will use you. Even Paul described his life as he's walking by faith, and we look at Paul's life, and man, the spiritual adventures that he was involved with, and, and as he was asked to describe it, he says, it's like I'm looking through a glass dimly. In other words, I don't have all the answers. I'm just not going to sit here and do nothing. I'm not going to sit here and put on my camouflage and hide in the background. I'm stepping into situations because God might just have a victory for me on the other side of it. And this is the kind of confidence that Jonathan displayed. It was built on the certainty that God moves through motivation more than information. For those of you that have been waiting for God to give you all the answers before you start, you will never leave the starting line because he works through motivation. And the information given us in scriptures is there for a purpose. It's, it's for the purpose of forming us. God never intended us to give us a book that gave us every detail of our lives and every step that we must take. He gave us his word with everything necessary to shape us into being the kind of people that would understand the broad aspect of his will and step into it wholeheartedly. So risk that God respects is fueled by a passion for his purpose and a willingness to subjugate our lives to his mission. Prayer moves God from what is your will for my life 
to, Lord, what is your will and how can I give my life to fulfill it so that I can step into that to the best of my understanding? Faith is trusting God enough to obey what he has said, and hope is having the confidence that God will do everything that he has promised. One pushes you, the other pulls you, giving you the idea that as you're being motivated to do something, God is before you and behind you, though unseen, but has you protected. But his protection doesn't mean that you will live a life without wounds. When we consider the wonder of experiencing divine moments, it unquestionably does not come without risk. In fact, the places where God is moving the greatest today are under the greatest risk. And yet revival is breaking out. We have enjoyed the benefit of safety and security, but America is about to wake up and understand that we as a church are going to have to step out of the shadows and take off the camouflage and begin to step out and we're not going to be able to sit back and hope nobody knows where we stand and that we can just quietly slip around and do things that maybe God will be at work out. We're going to have to stand up and say, here I am and this is who I am and this is whose I am. And I will be unashamed of the Lord and I will step into whatever work he has for me, but I refuse, I refuse to sit back and surrender defeat without even picking a fight. I want you to understand that the fact is that the center of God's will is not a safe place, but it's the most dangerous place in the world. And here's the reason why. Because God fears nothing, and God fears no one. And so walking in the center of his will, you are walking in a place where God says there's not a single thing or a single person or a single issue that I have created that I am afraid of. And so if you're going to walk in, you're going to step into those places and you're going to be seen. But when you are, I will put a shield around you. They never will be able to take you and remove me from your life. Your soul is secure in my hands. But living that way makes us dangerous to the world. When we begin to seize divine moments, we do not begin to risk to live risk-free lives, but instead we are free to risk. When Cindy and I were in the first week of ministry when we had moved to a small town in Nebraska, we had just been married a couple of weeks and we moved into a little apartment building there and I was wanting to build something. Some of you that have been around have heard this story before. I was wanting to build what I, a reloading table. I, I used to shoot shotguns and rifles a lot and I re reloaded my own equipment. So I went to the local Ace Hardware store and there was a guy there in the red jacket and he comes walking up to me and he goes, hey, my name's Steve, what's your name? I said, it's Doug. And as I begin to ask him for some things, he goes, are you building a reloading table? And I said, yeah. He goes, listen, I have one at my house. Why don't you just jump in the truck with me, and I'll drive you over to my house. You can look at it. If you like it, then we'll work on it. Now, I'm, I'm not accustomed to jumping in trucks with people I don't know. But this was one of those moments where the Holy Spirit just kind of spoke and said, you need to go. And it was like, really? My mom taught me better than this. No, you need to go. So I jumped in the truck with him, and as we're driving to his house, he asked me, he says, so I know just about everybody in town. I don't know you. Who are you? And I said, well, I'm the new youth pastor at the Assembly of God Church. And he goes, pastor, huh? I, I begin to feel unsafe. <laughs> I said, yeah. He goes, well, that's interesting. 
He said, my wife Linda and I have started to have some spiritual questions and we didn't know who to ask. So as I was at his house, I was looking at what he had there and he goes, listen, do you, you have time? Linda can put some coffee on. We'd love to sit and talk to you and ask questions if possible. And I'm thinking, I don't have a car. <laughs> I said, sure. So we went upstairs and spoke for about an hour. And at the end of that hour, I had the privilege of leaving, leading Steve and Linda to come to know Jesus as their Savior. I hadn't even been in a church service in my new church yet. And so that Sunday we're sitting in church and I'm sitting on the platform for the first time with the pastor and Steve and Linda come walking in the back of the church and the congregation goes silent. <gasps> the pastor looks at me and goes, do you know who they are? Yeah, it's Steve and Linda. No. Do you know who they are? Apparently not. He said, if there's anything that goes wrong in this town, Steve, Steve is probably where it originated. He says, in fact, if there's a couple in our community that we considered unsavable, it would be Steve and Linda. I didn't know that. In that moment, in that moment, God needed somebody to come from the outside that had no knowledge that fear was necessary, that protection was necessary, to disobey every order his mother had ever given him and get into a pickup truck with somebody who didn't know the Lord and have a conversation around their table in their safe place and lead them to Jesus Christ because there's nobody that is too far gone that God can't transform. And I look back at that divine moment and I recognize in the very first few days of my ministry, the Lord was saying, there's going to be many of these opportunities that you're going to have to take the camouflage off and jump into places that you might be uncomfortable with. But I want you to know I got there first and I'm leading you to those things. Church, we've got to take the camo off and stand up with boldness and be seen. 